Jamal Hill made it clear he's a contender. Johnny Walker made it clear that he's not. Jim Miller made it clear that he's aiming for UFC 300. And a whole bunch of unheralded competitors made it clear that they're people to pay attention to going forward. It's Sunday, February 20th. I am E. Spencer Kite, and these are the next day takeaways, UFC Vegas 48 edition. Welcome everybody back to the Sunday morning staple here on the Keyboard Kimura newsletter. I am ESK. It is 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. There is no construction going on outside my house. The in-laws are away last night. My wife is still sleeping. It is a peaceful, lovely Sunday morning and I'm here to talk about fights because last night we had fights. Yesterday afternoon, really, we had fights. Um, and we'll jump right into it, man. Jamal Hill did the damn thing. Sweet dreams indeed. Whatever whatever pun, whatever play on his nickname you want to throw out there, it is applicable because the dude knocked Johnny Walker stiff. Um, he has been someone for me that I have been kind of taking the patient approach that I preach all the time with. Um, the win over OSP was good. The loss to Paul Craig was what it was. The comeback, you know, the bounce back against Jimmy Crude is a great performance. And then last night for the main event, he goes out and just starches Johnny Walker with a right hand, shifted his stance because he, he felt that that was the better way to get in at what Johnny Walker was giving him. Lays him out, knocks him dead. And just an absolute statement performance said afterwards, kind of what he what he had been saying throughout the week of you need to start asking different questions about me. You need to start changing the way you speak about me. I am here. I am a contender. I am the real deal. Um, and he showed that on Saturday night. I mean, I've I've not been the biggest Johnny Walker fan, but but we know where he fit in the division. We kind of knew the the baseline level for him. We knew also where the ceiling was. And this was one of those fights that it was the correct progression for Jamal Hill. It was the type of fight we needed to see him go out and win. And he won convincingly. And to me, this is the way we need to continue to do things. This is the way the UFC needs to continue doing things of these step-up progressions for these athletes. I didn't like, and I said it throughout the week, that I didn't like that Johnny Walker was the guy getting inserted back into this. I think there were some other veteran fighters that could have been in that place instead of Johnny Walker. But I think Jamal Hill has now put himself in a position to fight one of those guys who maybe would have been a bridge too far coming off the Jimmy Crew fight, just in terms of the saleability of that fight. Now when you put Jamal Hill in against Anthony Smith, who I think, as the broadcast team pointed out afterwards, is, is really the perfect matchup and a guy that isn't matched up, is coming off a great performance. And again, we know the quality. We know the level of Anthony Smith. We know what it means to beat him and what it takes to beat him. That feels like the right matchup to me. I, I saw a few people throwing out the name of the winner of the Tiago Santos Magomed Ankalaev fight. I think that's the wrong way to go. I think you keep, ideally, Ankalaev and, and Jamal Hill moving forward on a similar trajectory and on parallel paths as opposed to having them meet at some point other than for a title or at the absolute worst, a title eliminator where the loss isn't, isn't the end of the world for either guy. Not that it would be along the way here, but just 
you've got two young fighters, emerging fighters in a division that needs emerging fighters. So pairing them off anywhere beyond the absolute have-to point doesn't ever make sense to me. I want to see Jamal Hill continue to get tested against more veteran competition. And I think Anthony Smith is the right guy because they're he has the full toolkit. He has a wealth of experience. He has power. He has submissions. He's not going to get thrown off by anything. He's been in the main event spotlight. He's a guy you can put in another main event in a couple of months' time and get them out there, get him out there. And we can see if if this really is a contender blossoming in front of us, if this is a guy that's going to continue this run and just march into the title picture, or if there's going to be some stumbles. And, and this is the part with Walker and with patience that I preach all the time and I touched on it during the week, touched on it Saturday and in about last night. We need to just go easy with these people. We need to we need to press pause with these athletes sometimes and the projections we put out there. I know I've been harping on it all week and and I'm sorry to continue to do it, but it just the more we see it and the more you think about it now given everything that has transpired since it is utterly ridiculous that people were talking about Johnny Walker as a potential threat and challenger and maybe the guy to unseat John Jones when his best win was against Misha Serkinov, who is someone I have known since he was, you know, just starting out in this sport that I think is a talented fighter um, that was at the time ranked in the top 10, but a very tenuous position in the top 10 at light heavyweight when it wasn't really thriving even the way that it is now. And so we've seen the one and four since. We've seen the struggles as he stepped up against more experienced, more talented, more well-rounded competition that he can't just overwhelm, that he doesn't just overwhelm. And we've seen it so many times with so many different fighters. It's, it's, why, it's part of why the Sean O'Malley thing has always bothered me as much as it has. Because we were out here crowning this guy as a future champion when he's winning decisions over Tarion Ware and Andre Sukumtath, who are solid fighters at the regional level, but couldn't hang in the UFC. And yet we're rushing Sean O'Malley into this championship talk that a year from now, two years from now, whatever it is, he's going to be a contender. Well, if that's the case, he's going to get there. Let's, let's see these athletes get there. Let's see them pass the tests that we know they need to pass. It's the same with Hamza Chemaev and all the posts that continue to come out. Just parroting things that he says about, I'm going to smash this guy and smash that guy. And these people are no worry for me. And I can beat this person and this person probably in the same night. Like, let's just see it. What's, what's wrong with just waiting to see it and saying, look, they look great, but we need to see more. They Thus far, they've they've impressed, and there's no denying that. Chimaev has looked terrific. Sean O'Malley, save for the Cheeto Vera fight, has looked excellent. Let's just see it. Let's continue to see these athletes progress up the level and win fights before we get too far ahead of ourselves. It's one thing to say they have promise, and if everything continues going well and how things shake out over the next couple of years, they could get there. But to just blanketly say they're going to be a champion or they're top five in the division already or or any of these things just feels wildly unnecessary to me. And I think we should just pump the brakes a little more and take a little bit more time, allow these athletes a little bit more time 
to just progress and get there rather than heaping all of this pressure on their shoulders and parroting whatever boastful things they say, because of course they're going to say boastful things. No athlete is going to come out. Hamzat Chemaev isn't going to come out and say, you know what, Gilbert Burns is a really difficult test for me. And I think he probably beats me, but I want to, I want to see what I can do against somebody of that caliber. That's not what we get in this sport. That's at most we get, I respect them, but I'm going to beat them because I think I'm better. We're never going to get, and, and we're often going to get the boastful version that we're hearing and, and the over the top version that we all love to parrot and everybody loves to just clip into Twitter graphics and, and IG posts and things like that. But we need to pump the brakes because when these people stumble and when they struggle, all the people that were there on the bandwagon and pushing them forward and raising them up aren't there to help cushion the blow when they fall. And that's the toughest piece for me is that now everybody's completely out on Johnny Walker and all the way gone on this guy that two and a half years ago, they were, you know, promoting to the hilt and pushing to the hilt as the guy that might beat John Jones or be a good test for John Jones. And so last time I will talk about it, last time I will speak about it in this next couple weeks stretch, hopefully. I just want to see us take a little more time with people give these athletes a little more time to to actually prove some stuff before we start talking about them as world champions and contenders and beating absolutely phenomenal fighters that they've never tested themselves against. Co-main event, Kyle Dawkins goes out and does what I thought Kyle Dawkins would do, um, gets a submission. I didn't think Jamie Pickett would tap at the very last second, but he did. Very good win for Kyle Dawkins, who is somebody that I think just needs the opportunity to fight regularly and fight the guy that he's initially contracted to fight. This was another change of opponents in a fight that was originally kind of, he was supposed to have the rematch with Kevin Holland. That got pushed back. He got matched with Julian Marquez. Marquez gets hurt, has to withdraw. Jamie Pickett jumps in. That was Kyle Dawkins' year last year. It's starting that way so far this year, but at least he's got a positive result to build on. I really do think he's someone that as we as he gets a couple more fights and as he can continue to compete consistently and have these building blocks, he can become someone that factors in the middleweight division. I'm not going to sit here after preaching about patience and say I think he can be a champion or a contender, but I like the skills that he brings to the table. I like his makeup in terms of his poise, his understanding, his IQ, things like that. I love that his brother is there with him, traveling the same journey, so he's got those people to rely on. And, and that Philly crew is all pretty tight, so they all know each other and train together here and there. And so it's a good group to be around as he's making this progression. He is definitely somebody I think people should pay attention to going forward from this one. Keep an eye on the next fight. It's going to depend who he's matched up with, but definitely somebody I think we can see growing and putting together a little win streak here in 2022. Going to skip over the heavyweight fight. I'm, I'm tired of, of not great heavyweights on the main card. We get it in a couple weeks again with Sergey Spivak and, and Greg Hardy getting a main card placement on the pay-per-view. It's, it's just wild, and the UFC needs to, to stop just showcasing sloppy heavyweights in hopes that it's that it turns into something great. It, it rarely does. 
and there's better fights that deserve that that real estate. Um, but we'll move on to the lightweight fight. Jim Miller goes out and gets his second straight second round finish. Uh, stops Nicholas Moda in his debut. Look, man, I, I wrote about it this week. Jim Miller is a dude that I have a lot of time for. I've gotten to know over the years. He is a consummate pro. Turns up, he's on weight. He does this. He, he gives you his all no matter what's happening. And and lately he's been doing this, which is, which is great to see. Um, I really hope he gets to UFC 300. That, that's that's what I want to talk about here real quick. Um, as I mentioned on the broadcast, as Jimmy has talked about himself, he fought on UFC 100, fought on UFC 200, and is is hoping to make it to UFC 300, which will, I think, be the summer of, of 2024. Um, so he's got a little ways to go, but as a guy that, you know, keeps himself in pretty good shape and, and is always kind of in there, I think he can get there. The one thing that he and I have talked about a lot over the, the last few years of his career, as I've sort of prodded all the time about what keeps you going and and what keeps you in this and, and why do you keep doing it, is he looks at sort of a bunch of his contemporaries, the guys that he came up around the same time with. And when he looks at his results against their results, even if they're both losing fights or they're you know struggling to have the success that they want, he's not going out and getting finished the way some of those other athletes are. And that, to me, is a really key piece. He's understood all the way along, and we've seen it in the way he's you know, been, been booked over these last couple of years. He's understood that his days as a contender are past, but that doesn't mean his days as a competitor have to be over. And so he's accepted that step back. He's accepted the role as the veteran guy that welcomes fighters like Nicholas Moda to the UFC, that faces other veterans like when he faced Clay Guida, that faces up-and-comers like Joe Selecki when he got in there and, and lost to Joe Selecki. And he takes that on happily. He takes that on. He understands the responsibility of it. He takes it on with pride. And he goes out and he and he handles his business, um, win or lose, with, with a level of professionalism, with a level of you know pride and skill and decorum that I don't think we necessarily see from a lot of aging fighters who are trying to hold on to that last little bit. He has done it exceptionally well. I'm so happy to have gotten that pick wrong on Saturday. I picked Nicholas Moda. Jimmy Miller goes out and hands me hands me a loss for the punch drunk predictions, but that's okay. I want to see him get to UFC 300. It would be, as I said, summer of 2024, so it's a few a few years away and a few fights away, probably about six or seven fights away, which means he's putting the record for most fights absolutely out of reach because I don't think we're going to see a lot of 15, 20-year fighters in the UFC anymore. But I really hope he gets there because that would be a really cool moment for a guy that I think has has grown in the esteem and, and continued to grow in the esteem or hold the esteem of people that were around for his prime and to watch him at his best um, and are still around now watching him as he's, as I said, aging, aging into the end of his, towards the end of his career or into the, the twilight of his professional career. And I want to see him have that moment. I want to see him that that's the moment that I think he deserves that. I think he's earned because he never got to a title fight. Um, he's had very few, 
I think maybe only one main event assignment over the course of his UFC career, and is just a guy that deserves that little bit of a celebration, that little bit of a, you know, raising the banner to the to the rafters. And UFC 300 would be a really cool time to do that, to have fought on those three, you know, monumental kind of landmark cards in terms of the numbering would be incredible. Um, and especially given all he's, all he's been through with, with battling Lyme disease and thinking about walking away. So to still be around after all of that and potentially in, in position to make a run, a real run at being around for UFC 300, I hope it comes through. He is a great dude. He is a hell of a fighter. He is one of those guys that I will watch every time he is on the fight card. Um, and, and Saturday kind of further illustrated why goes out there and puts on a hell of a performance against Nicholas Moda gets a victory, keeps it moving forward and, and definitely gets a lot of, gets a lot of us older heads excited for a performance like that. Shifting to the prelims, David Onama does what I was really hoping David Onama did. Um, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm claiming this one as a win. This is my weekly pat myself on the back. Um, that fight with Mason Jones was a real like, okay, I got to pay attention to this kid moment. And then the fight yesterday against Gabriel Benitez underscored that, accelerated that, made this a highlight David Onama a bunch of times and circle him in red. He dealt with some some rough pieces in that fight. He dealt with, you know, a shot that grazed his eye, blurred up his vision. He dealt with some heavy kicks. He's in there against a veteran guy in Benitez who isn't going to go away easy. And he still went out there and the whole time continued to march forward, throw his hands, find his openings, find his spots. And when he had Gabriel Benitez on the ropes, he absolutely put him away. It was a terrific performance for me, to me. Um, It's one of those performances for me that I don't think people are going to appreciate until we continue to see more of David Onama. Because going through those, the finish is great. Don't get me wrong. The multi-punch combo is outstanding. But it's the going through those tough bits and starting a fight against a sharp, fresh Benitez who didn't make weight, who didn't absolutely kill himself to get to 48, or to get to 145, coming in at 148, is tough, man. Like, that's a thing that young fighters especially, I mean, he's, he's this was his 10th fight. That's a moment that can cause people to wilt. Getting hit with that punch that blurs up your vision and you know it's a punch and you've got to just work your way through it is a moment where we have seen very good fighters look for exits. And instead, Onama took the space that he needed, got the space that he needed to kind of do his best to clear up his vision and get right back after it. And those are things that you cannot teach. Those are things that are just inherent in certain athletes. And I think David Onama has it. And I cannot wait to see what is next. I don't want to see him, again, sticking to my patience thing. We don't need to hustle him in against the top 15 guy, but a little step up in competition where he gets another good test, where he gets another opportunity, and I like the fact that they were the the featured prelim. I know this was all on ESPN+, but it still has a little bit of that feel, and I'd like to see him get a main card assignment where we start getting a little bit of buzz behind this kid and a little bit more, a few more people other than me and and a handful of folks talking about him going forward. This was an outstanding performance in a division 
that has plenty of of emerging young talent really excited about his future and what it what the op, what opportunities may be out there for him going forward get into some fights here now with as i said off the top kind of unheralded figures that had terrific performances and kind of stamped themselves as people we need to pay attention to going forward stephanie egger looked phenomenal against jessica rose clark hitting the judo toss a couple of times, landing in scarf hold position one of those times and just bashing on Jess's head from that headlock and then setting up the armbar for the finish. It's two straight wins for Stephanie Egger. Um, This was the step up. This was much like, you know, a lot of these fighters that we talk about. This was the step up. She beat Shanna Young last time out. It It was a good performance, but I don't rate Shanna Young that high. And so to go out and beat somebody in Jess that I thought was putting pieces together well and, and looked good in her last fight and looked good pre-ACL against Sarah Alpar, to go out and have this performance and be the first person to finish her, um, it's just a, it's a statement. And it's, it's one that isn't, you know, this doesn't make her a contender, but it certainly should put her on people's radar and it certainly should earn her a step up in competition again in a division where that top 15 is kind of fluid and has a lot of people that are maybe tenuously holding on to positions, to use a word I used earlier, again. It's a chance for her, and this is a statement performance that that puts her in that mix where if she's facing a Penny Kianzad next, that's a good fight. That's a great opportunity. That's kind of the range I'm thinking. Julia Avila. Um, I know Lena Landsberg has a fight coming up. Um, Macy Chass on at some point. Somewhere in there, like, let's just see that kind of lower third of the top 15, if Stephanie Edgar Egger can be somebody that works her, continues working her way up because these last two performances have been her best two performances. And I wonder if she's just one of those athletes that just needs the more reps and needs to be in there against the best competition possible. And every camp for that best fighter you're facing becomes your best camp and draws the best out of you. It certainly did on Saturday Saturday night. A tremendous performance, a tremendous finish, and definitely somebody that I'm, again, looking forward to seeing more of going forward. Little Canadian content on the show. Chad Ann Helliger goes out, gets a third-round stoppage win over Jesse Strader. I thought this was just such a professional kind of veteran. You've been through a bunch of a bunch of rough patches in your career fight for Chad and Helliger, who like these two dudes couldn't look more diametrically opposed. Strader is very muscular, very athletic. It's clear that he is an explosive athlete and Chad and Helliger looks like that dude that is sitting at the end of the bar with his cap on mind and his business that will just mess you up if you get in his face. And he goes out there and he gets a third round stoppage win in his debut Beautiful counter hook that put Strader down and then coffin nails on the ground to get the finish. I thought this, like I said, this was just such a a pro performance for me. Just a a savvy performance for me. He went back to the corner after the first fight, after the first round, and you knew he wasn't bothered. He, He lost that round. I think he pretty clearly lost that round. But there was no panic. There was no, you know eagerness there was no over aggressiveness he knew what he needed to do 
he and Brad Bird communicated about it. They got it all sorted out. And he goes out and he, in my opinion, evens it out in the second round and is pulling away. I felt like the momentum was in his favor. And we saw that in the third where he goes out and he gets the finish. Just a, a great win, a great professional effort, as I've said a couple times now, for a guy that, you know, battled hard. He was 2-5 and five at one point. He's strung together 10 straight wins. He got a couple of those out here close to me in Chilliwack at Rise FC, winning belts in two weight classes. Had some good wins against, you know, Canadian regional talents, as well as Brady Heastand, who was on The Ultimate Fighter, and made it to the finale there at Bantamweight. He's approached this the right way. I talked to Chad before this fight, and, and he said, look, there's no pressure. I knew all the way along the pressure was greater because I needed to keep that winning streak going in order to get this opportunity, in order to maybe get here. And now this isn't a short-notice fight where if I don't look great, I'm probably gone. I've earned a contract. The people that make these decisions said I am good enough to be here in the UFC, and now I get to just go out and show it and prove it and have fun and kind of finish my career fighting on the biggest stage. And so I'm super pumped for him. It was a great performance. I think he's going to be one of those fun veteran dudes in this division where there are a ton of young ton of young fighters, a ton of cool matchups. He will be in some more exciting fights and some more entertaining fights throughout this year. Um, count on that and, and just pumped to see another Canadian go out and, and have success. Canadians have done well so far this year. We're having a good year. I'm doing a little clap here, a little golf clap to keep it quiet. Um, it's been a good year so far and I hope it, I hope it continues. Featherweight fight between Jonathan Pierce and Christian Rodriguez. Pierce gets a gutsy win. He grinds it out. He looked exhausted, but I understand it. He grapples a lot and couldn't get Christian Rodriguez out of there. Um, the big takeaway for me is, is Christian Rodriguez sort of falls into that and, and props to Craig Allen of Fight Night Picks out in New Brunswick for, for making the comparison. He falls into that David Onama category where Onama took the short-notice fight against Mason Jones and looked good up a division. Christian Rodriguez takes a short-notice fight up a division against Jonathan Pierce and looked good. Let's see what he can do when he gets back down to bantamweight. Now, he struggled to make the weight for his for his contender series fight, and so that's going to be a thing we need to keep an eye on. I do think he can have success at featherweight. He was in there with one of the bigger, lankier, rangier kind of featherweights in Jonathan Pierce. I think it's a thing that if he's going to be there, he needs to he needs to make that move permanent. Um, but I do think he can have success there. I think he has more success at Bantamweight. He's a guy that, you know, in his contender series fight, he he looked good. He missed weight. And when Dana White told him, like, look, you're you're still young. You'll have more opportunities. Yes, everybody wants to get there right away, but it, it may have been the right thing for him. He now got to come in and, and have this performance where even in a loss, his stock goes through the roof. This was one of those fights where, even in defeat, he looks great, and he shows that he deserves to be here, and he can compete on this level. And so now he's already got momentum, as opposed to coming in off a not-great performance on the Contender Series, where he's getting a push because it's the Contender Series. And so this, this all may have lined up and worked out great for Christian Rodriguez, who I think gets that as Craig said during the broadcast and as I second that David Onama position now of the guy you need to watch for when he makes his next appearance, when he makes his sophomore appearance in the octagon, probably back down at his natural weight class where 
we get an even better read of what this young talent is capable of because he looked good Saturday night. One note on on Pierce, he's a guy that, I said it during the week, he's a guy that I want to keep an eye on because that grappling sets him apart. The scramble ability sets him apart. The We saw it on Saturday, the toughness and grit to take the elbow that Christian Rodriguez bashed him with in the third round and still secure the takedown that he needed and still kind of push to control most of that round. Even if he loses the round, he didn't lose the fight. Those, again, are intangible things that you cannot teach. And so it's three wins in a row for a guy that is continuing to develop, continuing to get better. The more time he spends at Fight Ready, the better he's going to get. Certainly somebody to keep an eye on. A great fight that a lot of people probably didn't see. And and I feel bad for them, but I don't because, you know, you had your opportunity and you missed out. So we enjoyed it. Those of us who watched it loved it. I'm pumped to see both of these guys continue moving forward. We get to the kickoff of, of the card. Mario Batista comes out and gets a unanimous decision win over Jay Parrott. I said it during the week. I said it during the fight. Batista is going to make me regret leaving him off the fighters to watch list for Bantamweight this year. This was the kind of performance. And again, I don't want to overrate it because Jay Perrin is coming in on short notice and hasn't fought in the UFC before, but this is the kind of performance that I was actually expecting from Mario Batista against Trevin Jones. And he kind of had that hiccup. He's a fighter that I really have a lot of respect for John Crouch and the way that he works his gym and the way that he brings fighters up through their amateur program and early stages of their career. He's one of those guys that has made that journey. And I still think he has the chance to be somebody and and just a person of interest. And just, you know, even if it, even if it tops out at a middle of the pack bantamweight who has these entertaining fights, give me more of those. Give me all of that. Give me all the Mario Batista stock. Give me all of the Mario Batista fights because if he fights like he did on Saturday, I want to see it every time out. I think he has the diversity of skills in the striking department to be a headache for a lot of people in that division. Um, I think, as they said on the broadcast, when you go out and debut against Corey Sandhagen on short notice, the next few fights, I'll feel like, oh, okay, I, I can be in here with these guys, and I do belong, and, and I'm better than these guys. As I said, there was the hiccup against Trevin Jones, who is a powerhouse that he hits you, he catches you, and, and that's how it goes sometimes. But he's 3-1 and one in his last four. He's still 28 years old. I like the way he mixed everything up. I like the way that he continued to push and kind of try to get Jay Perrin out of there when he knew he had him on the ropes and could sense that he was breaking. Bantamweight is flush with talent. It is the most competitive division in the UFC right now, in my opinion. There are going to be cool fights out there for Mario Batista. He's another guy from this card. Full of guys to just circle and and mark men and women so that I'm not excluding Stephanie Egger, who looked great. Um, To just pay attention to going forward. This is why I watch these cards. This is why I love these cards. Because, yep. Not, no no ranked fighters outside of the main event, but a whole lot of people that are trying to build momentum and trying to get to fights where the masses are going to be paying attention and they're going to be paired off against name brand recognizable fighters that you then go, okay, well, who is this person facing the person I know? 
we now know who they are. We've, we've had opportunities to see who they are and see them at their best in many cases. And so I totally understand not sitting through every single fight card, not sitting through every single fight. But to me, the difference between that and just not disrespecting these cards and dismissing them as having nothing of value is very wide. And so I'm very happy to see a bunch of these athletes come out and have great performances that set them up for bigger opportunities next time out. And you know I will be here on the newsletter, everywhere I write, talking about these efforts, talking about these performances, reminding you of these fights so that you you know to pay attention. Because I think we saw a bunch of people on Saturday night that are going to continue making waves and having good results in their respective weight classes throughout the rest of the year. As we always do after going through Saturday night, we look ahead to next Saturday. It is another card kind of to me similar to this weekend's card a little bit better. We get Bobby Green jumping into the main event for a catchweight fight against Islam Mahashev. I'm very glad to see that fight come together and Mahashev stay on the on the card. I've seen a few things over the week once Bobby Green got announced of like, oh, well, this is a guy that's going to have this winning streak and get a title opportunity by beating short-notice Bobby Green and short-notice Dan Hooker and all this different... Look, if you string together 11 wins in the lightweight division in the UFC, I don't care who those 11 wins are against. You deserve a title shot because it is near impossible to win 11 consecutive fights in the UFC lightweight division. If it was easy, if it was as simple as, well, he just fought these scrubs, more people would be on 11-fight winning streaks or 10-fight winning streaks or even 7-fight winning streaks. But the fact that they're not tells you how difficult it is. So while I understand that everybody's disappointed that we're not seeing him against the top five competitor in Benil Dariush, heal up, get well soon, Benny, you got to look at the bigger context. you got to look at the bigger picture. And it's 10 consecutive wins. If it gets to 11, I don't care that it was against Bobby Green on short notice. He has earned a title shot. He has earned the right to be in there by continuing to win all of these fights. We need to stop doing this thing where we continually move the goalposts and change how we want to determine what greatness is or who deserves what or who's merited what. Because 11 straight wins in this division, in any division in the UFC, is just bonkers. And we need to appreciate that because it doesn't happen. And if we're going to shit on people that are doing this, then it explains to me why so many people are dismissive of preliminary card fights and fighters getting started and working their way up and jumping off bandwagons quickly. If we're really going to sit here and try to dismiss an 11-fight winning streak against I don't care who, we're just doing this wrong and we need to stop and, and we need to change and it needs to get better. And I'm sure I'm going to write about it this week. It's probably going to be my Tuesday post where I, you know, climb up on the soapbox and rant a little bit. But I had to get it out here because I saw it and it's Sunday morning and I'm trying to be in a good mood and, and get ready to get this done and, and go make breakfast for my wife. But it was bugging me. So there it is. The rest of this card, I'm looking forward to seeing Armin Sarukin and Yoel Alvarez. That is a great fight at lightweight. Uh, two guys on matching four fight winning streaks lost their debuts. Won four fights since. Alvarez needs to make weight, plain and simple. He has looked great. Three straight first round finishes. Sub Tiago Moises last time out, but he has missed weight for his last two. And listen, man, I said it after that last one. Your job is to make weight. 
It detracts from those victories every time that he doesn't make weight. There's a huge opportunity for him. So Yukin's ranked. We know where he stands. His only loss is to Mahashev. Great fight. Definitely one I'm looking forward to. Very curious to see what happens between Rongju and Ignacio Bahamundes, two very young lightweights who are coming off good performances. Terrence McKinney returns his fight against Faraz Zaim that got pushed back from the end of last year. Really interested to see how that goes. Terrence McKinney's been a guy that, you know, after that debut, the seven-second knockout win with Matt Frivola, I've been waiting to see what he can do in his follow-up performance. For all the striking highlights that he's put out, everybody you talk to around him, everybody you talk to that knows him, says the wrestling is even better, so I'm waiting to see if that's the case. Love the fight between Alejandro Perez and Jonathan Martinez at Bantamweight. Another one of those fights at 35. That is just a great fight. That is just two dudes that are outside of the top 15, but we know the quality that they bring. We know the levels that they possess. It should be a terrific fight. Happy to see my guy Ramiz Brahima get a chance to, to jump back in the cage pretty quickly, replacing Johnny Parsons against Michael Gilmore. He lost earlier this year to Court McGee, 4-7 May guy. Tons of respect for, for Ramiz. Looking forward to seeing him out there. Again, as I said, another one of those cards where... The names are a little limited, and I understand all of the people that will be detracting from it because the co-main event is Misha Serkinov and Wellington Terman, because Gian Kim and Priscilla Cashuera are on the main event, but it, are on the main card, sorry. But there are fighters on this card that are on nice little winning streaks or looked good last time out or have something to prove. There's reasons to pay attention. You don't have to watch it all. At least watch the highlights. Just don't dismiss it. If I leave you with anything, let me leave you with this. Just don't dismiss and deny these people the opportunity to show out. We have, and and not me, but there are, there are prominent voices in this sport that constantly tell people not to bother with these fight cards and that there's nothing worth watching on these fight cards. And to me, that is such a disservice and such a poor use of your platform because at some point, all the fighters that we love and adore right now were on these prelims, were these unheralded fighters just trying to get ahead. And if we dismissed them all back then, we wouldn't have the chance to love them now. And so I just want to see these young emerging hopefuls, these veterans that are starting to put it together, whatever the case may be, get the opportunity. So if you're not interested and you're not keen, that's fine. But don't tell everybody it's not worth their time because there are a lot of athletes out there, especially on cards like this, that are just trying to work their way ahead that two, three, four fights down the road might be somebody you want to pay attention to, might be somebody you have to pay attention to. And if we've spent those first three, four, five fights telling fans and everyone else not to bother, it's hard to get them to bother three, four, five fights in when they remember that you weren't even excited when they were getting started, when they were just starting to dip their toes in the UFC waters. So if you're not interested, cool. If you've got other stuff going on, cool. If the schedule is too much and you can't do eight straight weeks, 10 straight weeks, whatever it is, cool. Just don't tell anybody that there's nothing of value to see here because every fight card and every fight offers something of value. I'm going to leave it at that. 
It is a, as I said off the top, a lovely Sunday here. I'm going to go make breakfast. we got some family plans this afternoon. One thing I will tell you before I get out of here, there will not be a next day takeaways next week. I'm going to be away with my family um, Saturday and Sunday. And so not going to be rushed, not bringing the podcast equipment where we're going, not going to be rushing home to tape something late Sunday afternoon after not watching the fights. Um, I hope I'm going to record the fights. I will watch them at some point because I want to see everything all the time, always. Um, But look, have a great week. Be good to one another. Take care of one another. Love yourselves. Know that you are valued. Know that you're appreciated. Know that you are loved. Subscribe to the newsletter. Subscribe to the My Week in Words newsletter over on Twitter. And just enjoy yourselves, man. Take care of one another. Be good to one another. I love you. We'll talk to you soon.